2: Hi everyone, Ioni and Olivia here, and we're so excited to be presenting a one off episode of our podcast series Exploring Modern Identity.
3: Made in collaboration with Monkey, the skin you're in explores what it means to be alive today and the biggest issues affecting our generation.
2: In this special episode, we're going to be talking about activism, and we have two amazing special guests that we can't wait to introduce you to.
3: And we're really happy to once again be talking to people at the forefront of these issues and acting change through their work and lives. So, first of all, Hope everyone had a nice festive time of year. Woo, woo. Ioni and I are both really happy to be ending the year on a conversation about activism because it feels like social issues, though they should never be ignored, it's been much harder to ignore them this year. And people have got more and less involved in good and bad ways. And so we're really happy to like kind of sit down and talk about what that means for this year and what it means going into next year.
2: A hundred percent. So our guests are people that we kind of picked because like, They both come from extremely kind of different angles on it. But I think especially for this episode and also just it runs through polyester that we want to kind of convey that, you know, there's so many different types of ways to be an activist or to just like make a difference in people's lives Mm -hmm. and the world. And we wanted to show the multiplicity of that with a couple of people that we think do it really well. Our first guest is Anshaka, who you may better know as Aorists online. I don't know if I pronounced the Instagram handle right. It's A O R I. S-T-S. They are an amazing illustrator and artist. I've been obsessed with their work for ages because last year Polly, Nora and I did like a campaign around the general election to try and get artists involved in like making materials for the general election and Ash submitted one and that's kind of how I found out about their work and I've been in awe ever since. And then our second guest is Roseanne who is a youth activist with Plan International and Rosanne does like so much amazing work around FGM and also just like women's rights and all of these things. So, just a heads up, big trigger warning for all of those things FGM, sexual assault, rape. In this episode, if you're not feeling in a place to listen to stuff about that, then maybe give this a miss and wait until you feel like you can, or if you never can, that's okay too. We understand. Yeah, of course.
3: Whatever's best for you.
2: And speaking of plan, obviously monkey partner with us for this podcast and one of the reasons why we got put in touch with razan is because plan and monkey have a collaboration which is really really great and i'm really grateful for it for bringing us together with razan because i think her insight was like so invaluable and just so so
3: so good
2: we'll talk about it at the end because i don't want to do spoilers so anyway (laughs) (laughs) here we
3: go okay so we have a special episode today but um, before we get started, probably best that everyone introduces themselves. I'm going to be interviewing some excellent panellists, so maybe we should start with the classic Ioni.
2: Oh, I definitely don't have to introduce myself because they've just heard heard the intro where I'm talking to you, but okay, I'm happy to be a panellist and not um, you know, not not driving the conversation today. I'm Ioni and I run polyester. Um, I'm on Chica-Cola.
4: Um,
0: I'm better known as
4: Aorists Online and I'm an illustrator.
0: Hi everyone, uh, I'm Ruzan. I'm from Sudan. I'm a medical student and I'm an activist with Plant International.
3: Amazing. So today we're going to be talking a bit about activism. So I think maybe a good place to start is talking about how you all got into activism, like practically and I think like a good place to start is like, where did you find the cause that got you into activism?
0: Yeah. Okay. So just a little background about myself. I'm a medical student and I'm the youngest in a, in my family. I have like four older siblings and my whole life, I really grew up in a shell or like, you know, in a sweet bubble that my family created for me until I got to college when I was 16 and I started to, um, Notice that most of the things that I would say they're normal are not quite normal for so many other girls. So for example, wearing what I want, going where I want, um, just doing what I want overall in my life, and like having a choice isn't really something that most girls had. and this was quite a shock to me. So I started to look more into these things and I started learning about female genital mutilation that apparently... Um, affects most of the girls in my country, over 88%. And I started to learn that child marriage is very uh, widespread in my country and so on. And these are all things that I didn't really experience. So I decided to use my privilege, if I would call it like that, to advocate for these things and start learning about them for myself first and then kind of spreading the knowledge uh, as I go forward. So I did join some um, medical student activist networks in my university and then the basically the network in my university is connected to a bigger network across the globe. And yeah, that's how I really got into activism. So I basically like organized like I started organizing campaigns and attending workshops and sessions and facilitating some of them and just learning along the way. But I really didn't come to call myself an activist. Um I didn't realize I was an activist until like it's been like more over two years.
4: Um, yeah, no, uh I think that for me it was very much a a slow process I mean mine was definitely you know identity based and identity focused and the fact that when I was about 17 ish I started to realize I was trans and it kind of was really scary because I didn't have the terminology for what I was feeling and I'd never really heard the actual words for transness or any trans experiences Um, I didn't know any trans people that I knew of and it was very much a slow um, realisation that, especially in the UK, it is such a hostile environment towards trans people. And the fact that just being a 17-year-old in this country, you know, a teenager, I didn't, I didn't know about trans people. And that wasn't, you know, anything to do with my culture or anything like that. In fact, where I come from in India, we do have a really rich history of transness the Hijra community is like really prolific in India. And although they've been they've been kind of relegated to second class citizens pretty much, back in, you know, <laughs> like if you look at folk tales and if you look at myths about our gods and all of that, there is a rich, rich history of gender fluidity and being free with gender in a way that I don't think Western countries kind of have or know about. And so It was a really jarring experience realising I was trans but I didn't have words for it. And then when I did start to look it up and kind of um, look up media that maybe featured trans people um, positively, I found there wasn't much and it kind of made me angry because I was like, I'm just a normal 17-year-old. I'm just a normal 18-year-old. Why should I feel so different and so set apart from everybody? And it was kind of that Plus, going off to uni and kind of realising I didn't fit in in the way that I thought I would. And in my first year of uni, I was also, this is like hard to talk about, but um, in my first year of uni, I was raped. So that was like something that really set me on a path that I kind of needed feminism more than ever. I kind of needed to feel in control of myself and in control of my body and in control of my choices again. And so that was kind of my introduction to really being very politically motivated and politically aware. and, um, And when I say politically, I mean obviously sociopolitically. Yeah, I mean, if I hadn't had that to like fall back on, I would have, I might have blamed myself for what happened, but I totally didn't. And that's like one of the things that I always think about is that like it saved me in so many ways to like know right off the bat that it was not my fault. And I only got that because I was following like activists on social media and things like that. So, yeah, that's kind
2: of where I got started, really. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, thanks for sharing. I I literally have no idea what my answer is for this. Like, I feel like (laughs) I feel like it's kind of a tricky one because I wouldn't necessarily say that like myself I'm an activist. Probably more that I'm like an advocate for other people and like that's probably like my role with polyester a lot, like a lot more than being an activist. I mean, I suppose they're probably the same thing, but like, I think when I was making polyester and I was like getting into adulthood and I got like um, unwell with Crohn's disease around that time. And like, I mean, it's kind of a similar story to both of you in that, like, when you become an adult, you start to realise how messed up lots of things are. And how like the world is not... Because I feel like when you're young, you think the world can be whatever you want it to be. And it's like all these, all these opportunities are open for you and you can make your life whatever you want. And then when you kind of get into young adulthood, you realize there are so many barriers for so many different people in so many different ways. So yeah. I suppose upon realizing that, I was compelled to make like a publication that dealt with that and also represented the people and the issues and the things that I felt weren't being represented or more accurately weren't being represented in the way that they deserved to be, like, were often being dealt with tokenistically or as, like, trend-driven or Mm -hmm. things that were non-important, just kind of like a flash in the pan. So I suppose that's kind of how I got into this and the most accurate way of summing it up.
4: You know what you said, um, Ione, about being diagnosed with Crohn's and then that kind of, like, making you realise that, like, the world is, like, slightly less open to people with disabilities, etc., one of the first art pieces that I did, like the first detailed piece, like hyper detailed background piece I did was about people with gastrointestinal like issues, no disorders, etc. Because I have IBS. Um. So it was like a, it was like a big thing for me. And I like posted about it just on my Instagram because I was like feeling like angry about the way that like people don't understand that like digestive issues, like gastrointestinal issues are also a form of disability Mm -hmm. and uh UK Crohn's and Colitis the like charity picked it up and like posted it all over their social media and like that was one of like the first things where I was like oh my god like this is reaching people like something I made talking about some issues I'm having or that other people are having related to somebody else and they identified with it and like Mm -hmm. when I like actually looked because I didn't notice at first that it'd been picked up and I went on their, um, on their Facebook and like people had been commenting and people of all ages, of all genders, of all ethnicities um, were commenting on it and saying, God, I feel so positively represented. Thank you so much for your caption. Like, thank you for this beautiful art. And I was like, this is like a moment. Like, this is how I know that I'm like reaching people. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. I think that helped like in terms of like the art I make. And again, like you, I, w- I wouldn't necessarily say, oh, I'm an activist because I think that can kind of like, get dumped on people that are marginalized as like a kind of label that they didn't necessarily always ask for because mm. it's kind of like a big burden to carry when you're also just trying to live and deal with the same issues that everybody else is dealing with but that's kind of like part of what like got me into it because I was like this like it's just a piece of art but it seemed to really help people and that made me feel really positive and yeah. like I was making a difference in some
2: way. So. Yeah, I think I think it's really important to, like, obviously highlight the differences in many different types of activism, like, when we all deal with, like, very different ways. But I feel like with activism, labelling myself one, like, I feel like, for example, Roseanne is doing, like, activism, activism, whereas sometimes I'm like, I'm just making a zine. <laughs> like, yeah. And, like, obviously that has activists, like, it has activists, what's the word? Like, kind of like shockwaves, I suppose. Like, it's what me and... And is saying like our work has shockwaves and there is obviously a point and a purpose, but I'm um, I don't know it's it's a tricky thing to, to like sum up I suppose. Yeah, rizan
3: with with your work, like because you were saying you didn't, it's not something that you like personally experienced growing up. How then did you like what steps did you take to get involved in the activism around that? Because I think that with the others on the call, it's more like it's like a career and art based mm-hmm. like direction. Yeah. Um, So I'm just interested in your perspective on that, Roseanne, because that's like old school activism, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So basically, like I said, my mom, my family, like really provided this shell for me. And um, at some point, I, at some point of my activism, like when I first started, I would come and tell my mom, like, oh my God, can you believe, for example, like so many girls are being cut and she would just look at me like, yeah, that this is where we live. And then I will be like, some girls are getting married before they get to school, for example. Or like, imagine my friend, Uh, Her family said that she can't travel to study this, for example. And she'd be like, this is the, this is the case for most girls in Sudan and you'll never know how it works unless you really get yourself involved with these communities. So what I did was with the medical student youth network that I had in my uh, university, we, I saw that they were organizing campaigns and outreach campaigns. So I would go with them and talk to the people affected and I really tried to develop a sense of understanding and like tried to listen more because this is not something that I experienced, but I have seen uh, how it impacted the girls around me. So, for example, my friends that told me these stories, I would listen to stories of girls who were cut, for including my mom, and I would listen to how they suffered from it and the reasons that led to it. So the socioeconomic reasons, the religious reasons that I had the same background, but it was different for me. And I analyzed how the same community can interpret, for example, religion in a different way. Like we have the same scripts, but for me, my parents chose to interpret it in the the way that we saw was right and more fair. And some other people just decided to go with the flow of what was already happening, like the gender norms and the social norms that were already existing. And I tried to understand the big picture more. So I, yeah, like I said, I just, started involving myself more in campaigns and activities and workshops. And the more I learned, the more shocking it became to me, honestly, and the more humbled that I was because I felt like that I was so distant from my community. Like, um, for example, I one of the things that really shocked me was that so many girls were accepting for these realities. They, this is what they wanted. So if a girl was not cut, for example, she did not undergo female genital mutilation, She'd ask for it when she grew up. And I'm just like, wait, why? And she'd be like, this is, this is how we live and this is how life goes. And it was, yeah, it was things like these that were shocking to me. So what I did was really just listen in the first two years and, and then honestly, as I, as I started joining more movements, like uh, the international network of my local university network, and then I started joining uh, organizations like PLAN and, uh, for example, an organization called Frida and Women Deliver. It's just coming with people from young people from all across the world and knowing that these issues are very similar. And I was hoping that the solutions would be similar as well, but um, they really weren't. It's, it's really complicated here, especially for us in Sudan. I just think that the more I listened, the more surprised I was and the more motivated, honestly, I was to create change and to understand. And I have to say that at some point I had to stop myself from, like, instrumentalizing the trauma of these people and thinking about helping them seriously. Because um, the more sad stories you listen to and the more realities that you see, you start to kind of see yourself, uh, like... You kind of misunderstand your privilege a little bit or like just feel sorry for them. I stopped myself at some point to, from feeling sorry to actually trying to help them. Stopped myself from talking like I was better than them because it was something that I did that in my very, very early years where I, where I saw that I was lucky and better than you. Like you should listen to me. I'm better than you. I'm luckier than you. And this is something that was seriously wrong with me. And I didn't have anyone to tell me that this was wrong. And I just started to listen to their stories more and appreciate their backgrounds more and like really try to understand where they're coming from. And yeah, this was, this was it. This was how I got involved. And now there's, of course, there's a lot of learning going on. It's, it's a nonstop journey, honestly, for me, like every day for the past four years, i would learn something new. i would develop myself and I help to try and like help to try the others around me, but it's an endless journey.
2: I think that's such a good point as well. And I know that, Roseanne, you wanted to talk about this. So I think probably now is a good time. Sorry, Olivia, I'm taking up for a little time. No, go for
3: it. I'm like in awe. Go on. In
2: terms of like having, as people that are trying to like, you know, convey ideas or like even just our own realities to the world, how to do that in a way that is effective and also like culturally sensitive and also like effective, if that makes sense. So for example, whether it is about like, transness that is such a hostile thing in the uk in particular that just keeps heating up and up and up and up that it can feel so volatile that is so easy to like be on the defense all the time it's the same with like disability or fatness or whatever intersection of our identities we're talking about because they're often such personal things it's hard to like level out isn't it like sometimes so i was just wondering on your
3: Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes.
1: Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com/slash acast and use
3: code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase.
2: Make your thoughts most effective and like the channels that you do that through, if that makes sense.
4: Um, I think for me personally, like like you said, it's like easy to come at it from a place that's quite defensive, you know, because it is so personal to you. And it's so intrinsic to who you are, that any kind of opposition to it does feel like a threat. And to be completely honest, I've got to a place where I don't care. I don't care if I come across as defensive, because it is literally my humanity we're talking about, and the humanity of people I care about and, and communities I care about. So when, you know, I think that, like, when people are like, oh, well, you should hear, like, the other the other person's side of it. And it's like, well, you don't say that to, a, you know, you don't say that to a person of colour when it's somebody white that's spewing racism. You don't say, oh, well, maybe they've got a point. But when it comes to transness, for some reason, that, like, sense of both sides seems to really be prevalent and I
2: don't know why you would it's like a cisgender entitlement isn't it basically because a lot of these things come from like upper middle class white people a lot of the time or well, that's the like prevalent rhetoric in our media yeah
4: 100% and it's like well why would why would their opinion as somebody who hasn't faced these specific set of obstacles experiences feelings etc why is their opinion equal in weight to an actual trans person's opinion why do they get to have a say and like do like think pieces on you know on news platforms about how oh maybe the trans kids aren't all right actually maybe we should just stop them ever doing anything until they're 18 when it's probably too late and they've already hit puberty like that rhetoric of oh maybe we should listen to them is harmful because that's what has got us into this place where we are giving those opportunities to to like you said middle class white cis people predominantly women who are kind of making it their identity to be anti trans and by giving them the opportunity to talk over and over and over again and legitimizing their frankly harmful rhetoric that is actively killing trans people and actively harming trans youth in this country you know and also exporting that that hatred around the world as the UK has done in the past historically as well i think that's kind of dangerous so at this point i don't care if i am being defensive or if i am being hurt by things that people are saying i to be honest i'm i'm all right with that because it is coming from a, a deeply personal place for me and you know same for um, in terms of any other kind of oppression or marginalized identity like the fact that you know disability is such a is so sort of like badly supported i don't know what the right terminology here is but in this country the fact that you know the dwp exists only in name and does nothing to help disabled people and in fact actively harms them to the point where they're left with nothing like those kinds of institutions only work if they're actively in touch with the communities they're trying to help and exactly the same for anti-trans activists such as they are they don't actually talk to trans people they don't actually have conversations with us they have an idea of what transness is in their heads and in their heads it's this really scary man in a dress idea which so what so (laughs) what if a man wants to wear a dress it's like again regressing to these like weird gender roles that I thought the whole point of feminism was to get away from those kinds of those kinds of ideologies mm. and to get to a place where actually it doesn't matter what you want to wear. You should just get to be yourself as you are, however you come, that's fine. And so I'm getting totally off the point here, but yeah. No, not at all. The point is that that it, it is deeply personal to me and it's deeply personal to a lot of people. And so I will never be one to apologise for being... Defensive or coming back um, and facing that kind of rhetoric with anything other than frankness and total honesty and openness about how it's actually impacting me and people I care about.
0: Yeah, I just really like the point that uh, Anishka mentioned. It's about the harm that you do versus how much you help the the communities that you're trying to represent and like talk about. It's a huge responsibility, especially for someone like me who's not facing that problem that I'm advocating for as much as the people that I'm trying to make their voices heard. So it's it's a really huge responsibility. You need to think about how much harm you're causing or whether you're truly helping or you're just, instead of just trying to speak better for them, how about you just sit down and pass the mic, you know? It's it's something that we need yeah, to do yeah. more.
3: Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, one thing that I, um, I kind of feel like this conversation's like um talking around, especially like what you've all spoken so much about listening to people, but then also like not being listened to, is one thing that I've learned loads from being involved in activism around you, Ione, is this like that you can, yeah, you can be involved in activism from for like a personal perspective in that you want the world to be a better place because you want to live in a better place or you want to, you know, change, like, feminism because you experience sex and whatever but how you then make sure that that doesn't stop at you and that mm-hmm. you actually like bring a community with you yeah. and I think that's like particularly something that like a conversation that's like missed a bit online or you know we're seeing like really individual activism online there's like such a blurred line between like activism and influencers at the minute it's like like who, who's in it and for what or whatever so I was interested Ioni, in your perspective in like activism in 2020 and building communities
2: yeah I think I think it's like a difficult one because obviously 2020 has been a year where activism or just like so social issues can no longer be ignored by like anyone no matter what social issue that is like we've been faced with like in the UK we've been faced with like extreme poverty obviously police brutality obviously racism like ableism like disabled people dying because of coronavirus and not being given hospital beds like trans people their lives being put up at risk like all of these things are so hard to ignore and they shouldn't be ignored but now we're getting to like the point where active yeah I suppose that's what I was saying where it's like it's a weird sticky thing with the word activism if people start using like activism as like an identity label like I'm an activist because I personally speak on the things that like just affect me and I don't speak to how they affect like the wider world or society or community or I'm not necessarily making anything that can be like digested by other people or isn't necessarily educational like it's quite self-serving I don't really know if I'm explaining myself well here but I think in terms of making like building communities it's difficult because it's such like a natural thing for me to want to do and I don't know if that's like the journalist in me or like whatever is that I want to like hear other people's stories and like have their perspectives and I think that things are just so much more interesting if you want to live your life that way like whether it's in like a socio-political context or not because if you're only thinking about yourself then goes back to the beginning of our conversation like we'd all have such small views of the world if like the world was what we thought it was when we were 15 before our illusions were shattered (laughs) but (laughs) we have like the problem in which yeah like feminism or activism or whatever is now it's a tool that can be like bought and sold in ways that are like extremely commodified and not very political so like they don't really have like a like a three-point plan so you know it's like I'm saying this why am I saying this like what's my information from and what do I want to come out of it and they're like what I want to come out for it of it for a lot of people is like money notoriety influence as opposed to a better world (laughs) Mm. equal rights (laughs) like the ending of this oppression kind of thing Mm. and I think that's the problem because for a lot of these people And it's nothing to be, like, really ashamed of. The end goal for them is, like, yeah, fame, notoriety, career prospects, which, you know, in and of itself, it's not a bad thing to be an aspirational person, but it's then using that activism as your way to be that person. It's not about the fact that you actually want to be the activist does that make sense I feel like I've just gone around like 10 million houses and trying to say that yeah.
4: <laughs> no it's like piggybacking on the idea of doing good mm-hmm. and kind of using it as a stepping stone to something more and that's not actively what your kind of end goal isn't the activism itself your end goal is oh this is the trendy thing right now I'm gonna join in yeah because it, it's unseemly if I don't, and oh, well, it's like getting me attention, and i'm gonna I'm gonna start talking more about it as a way to get more attention, yeah. which I understand is like totally like human nature, so I completely understand why that urge exists. like if everyone on social media is talking about something, it's completely natural to want to join in that conversation and also like bring your own perspective to the table. but I think often, I only the kinds of people that like you're describing tend to be again very privileged, cis, white, traditionally attractive, thin influences. And it's kind of like, are we diluting that by are we diluting the message of what we're trying to get across? Like, yes, it's great that more people are talking about things and you know, bringing their own perspectives to the table. But like you were saying, Razan, at a certain point you have to kind of question whose perspectives are being talked about and who are those people talking over to make their perspectives heard instead of, like you said, amplifying other voices and passing the mic to other people.
0: Yeah, and, and just to, honestly, just I want to talk about this from an, an NGO perspective. As someone I've worked with many youth-led organisations and international organisations, I feel like it's become an industry, if I could say, like activism itself is an industry it's like the way you do your work the the people that you address it's it's kind of falling into into the track of impressing the donors to get more money to fund your organization and so on but I feel like people like some people may get interested They they started activism because of true motivation but you get lost in the way as you as you progress in your work I feel like people just lose track of why they joined in the first place and just they start materializing things more. They start addressing people as numbers, as uh, names in papers, rather than actual individuals you're addressing.
4: Yeah, that's such a good point. But I think that's like a really interesting like perspective because obviously, as an artist and somebody that is wary of calling themselves an activist these days, so I don't it is very interesting to hear it from the ngo perspective because obviously that's something i i have no kind of awareness of like the back end of that and what happens behind the scenes so it's really interesting that the same trends that are kind of emerging in sort of the front end of social media activism as it were are also happening behind the scenes in places where you think oh that's serious activism mm. but it's actually kind of just another version of what's the same happening thing with influences and and the same yeah. kind of people it's just really interesting to hear you say that
0: yeah and and i just yeah so i just wanted to say that it's uh obviously not all organizations but very little organizations like for example plan international are the ones that really truly allow you to say what you want and reflect on how you really feel and represent your groups and like be vocal without any restrictions i mean i have personally experienced That where, for example, I'm having um, a discussion in like a public discussion, for example, with an organization and then they'll come to me and they're like, oh, can you please not talk about that? Or like make sure that you don't talk about that because that's a sensitive Mm -hmm. topic or like you won't be able to handle it or and so on. I feel like they just want to use people to say things that fall into the track of what they want generally, but it's not really about Mm -hmm. the impact. And I just want to highlight that very few organizations like Plan International are the ones that truly provide you with the opportunity. It's usually very restrictive, especially for us as young people. And I'm not the only one that have experienced this. It's usually very limiting. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I think that was like another point that, I mean, we're going to have to round up soon, but I could literally talk about this for hours. (laughs) I suppose like, because obviously over like the past half a decade, like a lot of the leading voices in activism have been youth activists and like. We're seeing young people more and more like, you know, lead the way, fight the fights they want to fight. But do you think attitudes have changed towards young people? Because for a long time, like obviously very ridiculed, like the most mainstream example is obviously, like Greta Thunberg, like still being slammed in the press like all the time, completely dismissed for being like a young woman and a young person that is also like not neurotypical. Do you think that young people are being taken more seriously or do you think that we're still kind of dismissed?
0: So I think young people are really they don't they're not provided with a seat at the table but um, they bring their own seat. I mean this is this is such a cliche sentence, but like honestly, we force ourselves That's great we force ourselves into places we try so hard to make our voices heard and I think it, an example of this on a national level is in my country uh, with the with the revolutions that happened in 2018 and 2019 we, we over, we really just changed the government that has been stuck for 30 years. And we weren't taken seriously at the beginning of the protests. People were saying, Oh, they're just, you're just angry. You'll get, you'll go back. And they tried killing many, many youth, actually lost their lives trying to make their voices heard. But eventually you make it. So I feel like in many other sectors in activism and in work and everything, I feel like youth are are forcing their voices to be heard. They're really, like, literally screaming, like, we're here, you know? It's not just trying to, like, amplify their voices. So, yeah, I think it's it's working, but it's a very slow pace, if I may say. There's still a lot of tokenism, a lot of um, talk under the table that we don't get to hear. We're still, you know, we're still not allowed in many spaces, but we're trying our best. And, of course, positive examples like Greta Thunberg and, and many, many others around the world art is what really inspires us and keeps us going
3: oh that was great and it just does feel great Mm -hmm. to end the year on a conversation about like well kind of feels great that it's not really the end of anything the end of a year is it it's just like we keep going it's
2: only the beginning oh exactly yeah uh yeah (laughs) what I was gonna say at the beginning was like what Roseanne kind of said about you know at a certain point she kind of sat down and realized I need to like stop putting myself above these people and stop thinking I'm better than them because I think I know more or I think I have better life experiences and just like actually advocate for people and I think that is such a like it's such something that will stay with me and I hope that other people take on board as well because especially in the way that loads of us you know act our activism that's a bad sentence but you know we've had so many conversations about individualism and activism and how like putting yourself at the centre is wrong. But I feel like if you just carry that thought, that will help centre you so much.
3: Yeah, absolutely. It's like, it's just like acknowledging and checking in on that is a good
2: start. Yeah. And just something, I think it's always good that if you're like a political person or someone who cares about other people, which everyone should, to just always have these little checkpoints with yourself, right? Like, oh, am I actually doing what I think I'm doing? Have I kind of like speared off the path? Is that a phrase? I think it is.
3: Yeah, totally. I think as well, one thing to remember is that like activism can come from a place of like, what you want as an individual. So like, if you want gender equality, because you're a woman, or if you want like LGBTQ plus equality, because you're a queer person, like there's an aspect of it that can come from an individual place. But because of like modern society and social media, that line is like so blurred between like activist and influencer. So more than ever, everyone needs to be checking in like what is personal gain and what is actual activism. Because ultimately, if it does come wholly back to you as an individual, it's not really like you're not really changing the world. You're just making money on Instagram.
2: <laughs> Yay, mic drop. <laughs> and with that, we we'll leave you thank you again to monkey for partnering with us for this episode it's been a total pleasure and thank you to Razan and and Shaka for joining us thank you so much and obviously thank you to you Olivia
3: thank you to you Ione thanks to everyone who listened to how many episodes was it Ione
2: I think it's like 46 overall but I might be wrong gosh that's made me tired many yeah it's many many but yeah thank you to all the listeners it's been a great year and thank you to Clarissa and Tanaya and to Gina and Gina and Carlin and to Hattie and Camille and to Charlotte and to Alfie for the music we'll see you next year see you bye bye
1: bye